on page uh, 1084, and we're looking at verses 44 to 50 this morning. John chapter 12, verse 44 to 50. Uh, on your handouts there is a outline of, of where we're going in the middle, uh, so if you'd like to follow that, you're welcome to do so. Uh, and there are some pencils at the welcome desk. You can help yourself to that uh, if you want to take notes. John chapter 12, verses 44 to 50. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, uh, we pray that your spirit will be teaching us uh, and working in our hearts, uh, opening our eyes to Jesus, uh, enabling us to see him and love him and honor him as we should. And we pray that uh, uh, you would be uh, drawing people to yourself this day uh, as your word is uh, taught. We pray that you help me to teach properly. And we pray that you help each of us uh, to listen and to be able to see what you are saying to us uh, through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John's Gospel can be divided into two sections. Uh, The first section is chapters 1 to 12. It's called the Book of Signs. And it speaks about Jesus' ministry uh, right up to the night, or just before the night that he was betrayed. Uh, It's called the book of signs because there in these chapters are various signs that Jesus does to show who he is. Uh, We've seen a number of them, in fact we've seen all of them, uh, throughout this year as we've done our two series on John's Gospel. Uh, We saw Jesus' seven signs, turning water into wine, healing the official son, healing the man who had been invalid for 38 years, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, healing the blind man, and raising Lazarus. And we see that these signs pointed to various things about his identity. And we know, from the end of John's Gospel, that out of all the miracles that Jesus did, John, by the Spirit, chose these ones to record for us, so that we can see who Jesus is and believe in him and have eternal life. The second part of John's Gospel, verses 13 to, chapters 13 to 20, is called the Book of Glory, and that's what we're going to look at next year, in the first one-third of our year. Right? It starts on the day that Jesus died. Now, in our way of thinking, it starts the night before he died, but the Jews count it from sundown to sundown. So actually, it's the day Jesus died. So it's all about the day that Jesus was killed. The things that he said to his closest friends, the things that he prayed about in the final hours before his death. Because remember back in chapter 3, Jesus had told Nicodemus that he must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And the book of glory is about his lifting up. It's about his glorification. He was going to be glorified in his death and be vindicated in the greatest sign, the resurrection. The passage that we're looking at today rounds off that first part, the book of signs. Last week we saw, we must be coming to the end of it because Jesus is saying, now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. He had come to the point. And today's passage is the last thing that John records Jesus as saying in his public ministry before his crucifixion. After that, it's all private teaching. Here is Jesus' final public invitation to the crowds. His last, his, his word to them, their last chance to hear and believe. And so when he speaks, it's not like a, a calm, polite statement. In verse 44 it says, he cried out. This is loud. This is important. This is emotionally charged. For this is their last chance. 
If you are not a follower of Jesus today, then listen to these words as if you are being spoken to by Jesus for the last time. Listen as if this is your last chance to hear Jesus speaking to you. Because for all you know, it might be. And if you are a follower of Jesus, imagine what it would be like for someone on the outside looking in. Someone who is not a follower of Jesus, part of the curious crowd. And Jesus is speaking here to people like that. Give them their last chance to listen to him before he goes to the cross. And Jesus says three things to such people. One thing is about himself and the Father. One thing about himself and his mission. One thing about himself and his word. And as the Holy Spirit through John records this, it really summarizes that book of signs and he gives us the answers to three crucial questions. How can we know God if we can't see him? Why did Jesus come? And what happens if you reject Jesus? First point, Jesus and the Father. How can we know God if we can't see him? Well, when Jesus cries out, and i just let you know, this point is the longest point, okay? So if it's getting a while for a little while and you think, oh no, this sermon's going to be three times as long. No, don't worry, it's the longest. Okay, Jesus gives us the answer. How can we, how can we know God if we can't see him? Come with verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Jesus says he perfectly reveals the Father. And so to believe in Jesus is to believe the Father. How do you know what God is like and you can't see him? You look at Jesus. And that has been the theme of John's Gospel from the very beginning, isn't it? Use your little bookmarks, keep it right where the, the, the pages where our passage is. Come with me, come with me, right back. Start with John chapter 1. Uh, in what we call the prologue to the Gospel, the first part. Right? We saw the relationship between the Son and the Father. John's Gospel opened with a statement, we're on page 1068, opened with a statement, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? The Word, that is God's communication of Himself, was simultaneously God, and yet He was with God. He was distinct from God. Both God and with God is God's communication. And the Word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word is the Son. It is the Son who is simultaneously God, and yet with the Father, distinct from God. And he is the one who has revealed God. Come to verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. How do you see the invisible God? God has made him known. You see, Jesus really, really knows God from the inside. He has come from God, from the very being of God himself. He is God, though he's not the Father. He's at the Father's side. And Jesus is God with God, and that God with God has been made flesh and has made the Father known. So how do you know what God is like? You look at Jesus. And then you come to chapter 3, verse 34 to 36. 
Remember what we saw about Jesus in this chapter. Uh, chapter 1071, page 1071, verse 34. We saw that God has given Jesus the Spirit without measure. That is, what is in the Father is in the Son. What is in the Son is on the Father. He's given the Spirit in full, absolute, unlimited kind of way. In fact, in verse 35, the Father loved the Son and has given all things into His hand. There is nothing that belongs to the Father that doesn't belong to the Son. Except, of course, His fatherhood of the Son. Words are given, the authority is given, the world is given, the glory is given, and so deep is the eternal union of love between Father and the Son that Jesus shares everything that belongs to the Father. Even the Spirit Himself. Completely. And so you cannot relate to the Son without relating to the Father. You cannot relate to the Father without relating to the Son. And, and how you respond to the Son is how you respond to the Father. And how you treat the Son is how you treat the Father. And if you listen to the Son, you're listening to the Father. And if you reject the Son, you're rejecting the Father. Which is why in verse 36 it says that he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but suffer God's wrath. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And, and how you treat Jesus is how you treat God. Oh, we see it again in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 19. Across the page, page 1073. Jesus says, verse 19, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees His Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. The Father loves the Son and shows all that He Himself is doing. The Father hides nothing from the Son. Shows Him everything. Because He loves Him. And so everything the Father does, the Son does. Everything that applies to the Father, applies to the Son. And there's no sense of jealousy or rivalry because, because the Father loves the Son, shows Him everything. And so the Father wants the Son to be honored just as He is honored. He wants the Son to be given the glory, the same value, the same esteem, the same worship. That is the Father's goal. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. So the Father shares everything with the Son. All his work, all his honor, all his glory, all his divinity. The Son does what the Father wants. He acts according to the Father's will. He perfectly, definitively reveals the Father, shares in his glory. And if you don't honor Jesus and you don't worship Jesus, then you're not honoring and you're not worshiping the Father. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And how you treat Jesus is how you treat God. And then we come to chapter 8. Chapter 8, we saw in chapter 8 that Jesus claimed to be Yahweh, the, the God of Israel, the, the I Am. Uh, in verse 24, chapter 8, page 1078, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I Am... The he is not actually there. I am, that is Yahweh, the God of Israel. You will die in your sins. Or again in verse 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He claims to be Yahweh. Claims to be the God of Israel. That's why they pick up stones to throw him. Not to throw him, just to throw at him. But you see in verse 20, you go down to verse 28 again. You go down to verse 28 rather. You see what he says here. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. 
and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. You see two different things in one verse? Jesus is I am, he is God, he is Yahweh, the God of Israel, and at the same time he does nothing by himself, but whatever the Father tells him. He obeys the Father. And we see that most clearly when it says he is lifted up, when he goes to the cross, when he would give his life for our sins, in obedience to the Father. He is, he is equally God to the Father. He always seeks to do what pleases the Father, because he is the Son, and that is what the Son does. The Father is always with the Son. The Son always honors and pleases the Father. And he perfectly obeys the Father, and he perfectly reveals the Father. Because the Father has given everything into his hands. When he works, he does the work of the Father. He does the will of the Father. When he speaks, he speaks what the Father speaks. He speaks for the Father. And so when we come to today's passage, in chapter 12, verse 44 to 45, what it's saying is abundantly clear. He is the perfect revelation of God. He is God from God, revealing God. If you see Jesus, you see the Father. If you believe Jesus, you believe the Father. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. How do you relate to the invisible God? You relate to Jesus. And how you treat Jesus is how you treat God. And now friends, the converse is true as well, isn't it? If Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father, then if you don't believe Jesus, you don't believe the Father. Here's another question people ask from time to time. Is the God of Islam and the God of Christianity the same God? Well, at one level, we have to agree that there's only one God, isn't there? There's only one creator. It's not there are two gods, the Muslim God and the Christian God. Right? We all know that. But then you've got to ask, what is that one God, the true God, like? And is the Bible's description of the one God compatible with the Quran's description of the one God? Because if not, then you can't really say that Islam and Christianity have the same God. One of them, at least, must fall short of the God it claims to describe. And so one God must be false. What is God like? How do we know him? How can we know him? Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. What is God like? He is just like Jesus. Exactly. He is just exactly like Jesus who says, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. If you believe Jesus, you believe him. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen him. And if you don't believe Jesus, then you're not believing the Father either. Any religious system that denies the perfected revelation of God in Jesus Christ is in the end a rejection of the Father. You don't believe that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. You don't believe Jesus. And if you don't believe Jesus, 
You don't believe the Father who sent you. And the God whom you worship is not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not worry about the people out there anymore. What, what, what about you? Do you believe in Jesus? You believe that to see Him is to see the Father. Do you look to Him to be the point of revelation, the place where you meet God? How do you know God? How do you relate to God? How do you believe God? How do you... It's got to be in Jesus. Whoever believes me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, Jesus said, sees him who sent me. Well, the second thing Jesus cries out in this last chance of those people is about his mission. These are the things that he thinks is important, isn't it? He just wants them to hear again. It's about his mission. And the question he answers is, why did he come? Now, why did he come? Now, there are various ways we could answer that question. In fact, uh, if you go to Luke's Gospel, Jesus says he came to seek and save the lost. Uh, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, here in John, the Holy Spirit explains the same thing in another way as he quotes Jesus in verse 46. He says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. I have come to this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And again, to understand this properly, you've got to look at the This is a summary statement, isn't it? To understand it properly, you've got to look at the, at the context of John's Gospel. Now come back with me again, back to the prologue, John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, Verse 4 and 5, uh, this whole theme of light and darkness begins. It's a theme that runs through John. It says in John chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness is symbolic for, for evil and, and ignorance in John. It's, light speaks of God's revelation, and darkness tries to overcome the light, but does not do so. If you go to chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, uh, we read this. Chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds are carried out in God. The light that Jesus brings reveals God and exposes people, shows up as sinners who run away from the light because they love darkness. Or if you go to chapter 8, verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2, we looked at it a few weeks ago. Uh, make chapter 8, verse 12, rather. Chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them at page 1078. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember how God rescued Israel from Egypt? Led them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And what they had to do was to follow the light, didn't they? 
And Jesus said, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. And just like I led those people out of Egypt into the promised land, I will lead you to your inheritance. And we come to our passage today, in chapter 12, verse 46. I think the strongest Old Testament connection, though, is that with the servant of the Lord figure in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, prophesied about 700 years before Christ. And in the book of the prophet Isaiah, the Holy Spirit prophesies about a time when God would send this figure called the servant of the Lord to Israel. And listen to what God says to the servant in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. You see the connection? God says to the servant, I will make you a light for the nations. And Jesus says, I have come into this world as light. And God says that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me may not walk in darkness. He's taking these ideas from Isaiah and applying them to himself. And if you go to Isaiah, you see what has happened to the servant? Oh, we saw that in last week's Old Testament reading, didn't we? The servant will go on to die to pay for the sins of God's people. This servant goes on to rise again and to rule the world. He would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, take our place under the punishment of God and rise to rule. And Jesus was going to go on from here to die for sins and rise again. He's a light for the world. He came to save those who believe not just from Israel, but from all the nations. That's, that's us. Because ever since our ancestors turned away from God, we, we as a human race have been in darkness. We've lived apart from God, following our own ways. We haven't really known God or His grace. We've, uh, even our thinking has been darkened. And we've been under God's curse, headed for condemnation on the last day. That's, that's darkness. And Jesus came that those who believe in Him will no longer live in darkness. He came so that we can live under God's rule once again. That we could know Him as our God, enjoy a relationship with Him now and forever, to lift the curse from us, so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that we would no longer be walking in darkness. Our Holy Spirit will pick this up again through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1.13 where it says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. So the mission of Jesus was to be the light for the world. He has come into this world as light so that whoever believes in Him may not walk in darkness. He would achieve this by being the servant who would die for God's people. And so those who believe have light. We'll know, we'll know God. No forgiveness. No salvation. Know where we are going in the future. Have an eternity that is secure. And meanwhile be changed to become more like Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So why did Jesus come? Well, we've got that. The third thing Jesus addresses has got to do with his words. And in doing so, he answers our third question, 
What happens if you reject the words of Jesus? What happens if you reject the words of Jesus? What happens if you don't believe what he says? Well, first of all, notice what Jesus denies in verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. When Jesus came to this world, he didn't come to judge the world. He, he came, we just saw, he, he came to save the world. He came to be the light, to bring people from the darkness into light. He, now, when he comes back the second time, he will come to judge the world. But, but that hasn't happened yet. It's not why he was here before. He came to save the world. But those who reject him are condemned, and the thing that condemns them is the very words that Jesus spoke to them. Jesus continues on in verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Those who reject the words of Jesus will be judged for their rejection of him. And the words that he spoke, his patient claim, which he kept repeating over and over again, they would condemn them. Because rejecting the word of Jesus is rejecting him. Rejecting the word of Jesus is rejecting the opportunity for forgiveness and life. And when you reject Jesus, who is the one who can give the forgiveness and life, then you've rejected forgiveness and life, haven't you? If you reject Jesus' words, you reject Jesus. You can't say to someone, I will disobey your word, but I will follow and obey you. That doesn't make sense. How you treat someone's word is how you treat them. And to reject the words of Jesus is to reject Jesus. And to reject Jesus is to reject the Father who gave the words to Jesus. Jesus continues in verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me himself gave me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has taught me. You see, we saw just now already, isn't it? Everything that Jesus does, everything that Jesus says, is from the Father. And when he speaks these words of eternal life, these words are the Father's words. He is the perfect, the perfect revelation of the Father. We reject Jesus, we reject his words, who reject the gospel message of forgiveness and eternal life, we are rejecting the Father. And if we reject Jesus' word, we reject Jesus, we reject the Father, and there is no hope for us. Friends, the message of Jesus Christ is a very solemn message. Jesus is the perfect, final revelation of God. He came to save his people and bring them into his kingdom. To be the light. But when people reject his words, when people reject his offer of eternal life, they are confirmed in their rejection of the Father, the true God. And they are confirmed in their condemnation. Yet Jesus did not come to condemn the world. That's not the point of it. He came to save the world, to bring light to the darkness. And so today we are faced with that challenge once again. Jesus cried out those words that day, we are listening to them now. We're not just observers in this anymore, 
Now, oh yeah, it was very interesting. The Jews heard the word of Jesus for the last time. No, friends. Today, you and I have heard the words of Jesus. And on this very day, these words will be true. For some people here, these words will be the words of eternal life. When you believe in Jesus, you pass from death to life. Your sins are forgiven. You enter His kingdom. But for some, and may may this not be anyone here, but for some, these words will be part of your judgment. Hearing the very life-giving words of Jesus and rejecting them only increases your culpability on the day of judgment when God judges you for your sins. So let me urge you, let me encourage you, let me plead with you. If you are not a believer today, please believe. Please turn to Jesus and trust Him. There is no other way to be saved. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God and how you treat Jesus is how you treat God. He is the one who brings light, forgiveness of sins, a place with Him in glory. He is the one who died for you and rose again. He is the one who cries out to you today. And you have heard his word. Believe and be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the invisible God, the creator of heaven and earth. We thank you that you have spoken down through the ages and times past through the prophets and many times in various ways and we thank you that now you have spoken through us, to us in your son we thank you that your son is the radiance of your glory the full representation of your being thank you that through him we can truly know you Father, we pray that you help us to love him, honor him, worship him, as you deserve to be loved, honored, and worshipped. Help us to believe in him as you deserve to be believed. Help us to glorify him as you deserve to be glorified. Because we know that he is your perfect revelation. Thank you that through Jesus we can see you, we can know you, and we can love you. And we thank you that as we look at Jesus we know that you are the God who loves us, who sacrificed for us. Know that you are the God who is concerned for justice and mercy. That you are the God who is who has faithfully fulfilled all your promises. Thank you so much, Lord. And thank you that you sent your Son not only to reveal yourself to us, but to save us. Thank you that he is a light for the nations, light of the world. And thank you that because of him we 
truly know you and we are forgiven by you and have eternal life in him. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to keep on believing in him. And we pray that if there is anyone here who hasn't yet put their faith in Jesus, have mercy upon them, we pray. Draw them to Christ by your Spirit. May they, may the word they've heard this morning be at work in their hearts. And good shepherd, call them to be your sheep and follow you. Help us to have a sense of urgency um, about the following of Jesus. Help us to see that the time is short and the people need to hear and to believe. And make us your instruments in, in bringing that, this message of Jesus uh, to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.